just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It's Wednesday. We're midway through another shit show of a week. The good news is that things are looking up for the Democrats and things are looking badly for Donald Trump and the Republicans. And of course, we'll talk more about that on the program as we are want to do. We also have a couple of emails that I will get to in just a moment, but I wanted to let you in on something. You know, when you do a podcast or you do something on the radio or even TikTok for that matter, you build kind of a relationship with your listeners or your viewers. They get to know you. You get to know them. You're my people. Uh, You're my people that I talk to every day. I'll be honest with you. You know, the people I interact with daily are more so my wife, maybe my kids, maybe my granddaughter. I have friends that I see now and again, but I don't talk to them every day. But you, I do talk to every day. So I thought I'd let you in on a little personal shit. Again, not looking for sympathy or empathy because I don't need that. But today, as you're listening to this, I may be in or already out of a doctor's appointment, an eye doctor's appointment. And the reason I'm going to see an eye doctor is because I have a cataract in my left eye. I'm 62. Go figure. Well, I had a cataract in my right eye, and they took care of that, and all was good, no problems. I didn't have one in my left eye at the time, but now it's arisen in my left eye to the point where I literally can't see out of my left eye. If I shut my right eye, I can see lights and a little bit of movement, but that's it. So now's the time. (laughs) Maybe I'll let it go a little too long. So the reason I bring this up is because when I get to this stage with my first cataract, I got kind of pissed off about how a doctor handles this whole process of getting you ready for and, 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 and looked at to have this cataract surgery. It's not a real big deal. It's not painful. It's, it's actually pretty easy. But I don't like the position you're put in when you talk to these people. This happened the first time. It's happening this time. This time, these doctors are a little better about it. They're not so much a uh, used car salesman. Because that's what the first one really was. And he pissed me off, and that's why I'm not going back to him. But here's the deal. When you have cataract surgery, I go to my, I go to my, um, my insurance, and I find out I got a, like a $2,500 deductible. So I'm guaranteed to pay $2,500 out of pocket for this thing. Okay, fair enough. I signed up for it. That's the deal. But you sit down with them and you think, okay, it's just going to be a cataract surgery. They're going to open your eye up, put a new lens in, all will be cool. That should be it, right? Now, when I originally had my cataract surgery, uh, I had trouble seeing in a distance. I wore glasses for that. So when they put the new lens in my right eye, I could see very well in the distance, and I still can. 
My left eye, I was able to see up close. So when it came to reading and that sort of thing, I had no problem with that. So it was a nice balance. It worked out all right. But when the left eye started to go, now I couldn't see up close because I only had my right eye. So I had to start wearing the cheater glasses. Now, I will tell you, I will never spend a ton of money on cheater glasses because I lose them and break them all the time. Sometimes my granddaughter likes to play with them and she likes to break them. So I'll be perfectly honest with you. All I need is the magnification. So I go to Dollar Tree, buy about 20 of them, go through them, and then go back and buy 20 more. I'm not going to spend a lot of money on them. But anyway, my point is, is when I go and see the doctor, they're saying, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Okay, great. Take a bunch of tests and do all this stuff. (laughs) But what really I find off-putting is when I'm sitting there with the doctor or the nurses or the administration, whoever I'm talking to, they start the upsell. No, seriously, they, they, they try to upsell me. Now, I've got to pay that $2,500 of my um, deductible. Okay, that goes without saying. The rest will be paid by my insurance. I think something like this is like a $4,000 event. So I'm paying for most of it. Not happy about that, but that's the way it is. And they said, you know, listen now, here's a couple of things you got to consider. Now, we've done a pretty extensive study of your eye. We kind of know what it is. But we could do even more extensive study of your eye and testing and looking into it and doing all this stuff. And, uh, you know, it might make you feel more comfortable when you go into surgery so the doctor knows absolutely everything about your eye. I said, cool. Tell me more. And they get to the point where they say, well, it's $350. I go, $350 in addition to the $2,500 i am paying you. Yeah, the insurance wouldn't cover that. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. I'm going to the surgeon because my wife went to the surgeon. The surgeon is one of the best in the area, if not the country. I think I'm good. I don't need the extra warranty if you fucking will. And they said, no, 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 that's, that's quite fine. It just makes people feel more comfortable. And I thought, therein lies the rub. Get on people's emotions. Make them scared a little bit. Get that extra 350 out of their wallet. Now, I didn't have this extra, extra um, inspection when I had my first eye done. And I know this guy's really good. So really, why, why am I going to do that? They've already done an extensive study of that eye, and everything seems to be healthy. So I I, I deny that. And then they say, okay, now here's the deal. You can get the surgery for the lens, and it'll be like your first eye. That's all cool. I said, fine, let's do that. However, (laughs) there are some upgrades to that. Special technology we put into these lenses. There's one you can see at a distance. You can see up close. You can even see the mid-range for computer stuff. You can get that. Or you can get some variation on that or some other variation on that. I go, all right, what's it fucking cost? And they go, it's only another 2500 bucks. <laughs> so I say, you're saying to me, out of pocket, you fix this eye. If I do everything you want me to do, I'm into this eye for five grand. And they said, well, yeah, but it's important. I go, no, we're not doing that. 
I'm fine with what happened with my my right eye. If I can get my left eye done, now if you can make it so I can see close with my left eye and keep it far with my right eye, I'd be cool with that. But if you only can do it where I can only see in the distance and I got to wear cheaters at a buck a piece from Dollar Tree, fuck it, I'm wearing the cheaters. I'm 62 years old. Chances are in a short period of time, I'm going to need the cheaters anyway. And I'm not going to go five grand deep into this shit. As it is, I'm going 2,500, maybe three grand deep into this. So fuck you. Now, other people might have taken a different tack to this, may have looked at this differently than I do. And that's fine. You know, if you want to do all those things, that's fine. The thing that I find troubling, the most troubling about this, I'm sitting in a doctor's office. I'm looking for care for my health, for my eyes. I want my doctor to be focused on the care for me and doing the job, the best job he can. Instead of coming in and say, I could do a good job here, but I could do my mess job if I get another twenty five hundred or three grand out of your pocket. Now, I've been in sales all my life. I know this fucking game because I've played this game many times. I just don't feel comfortable with it when my doctor does this. Now, when this happened the first time, I thought, he's the only one that does this. It's fucked up. I've talked to a lot of friends. I've had this experience. They all do it. What is this about doctors? Maybe you should focus on taking care of people instead of padding your pocketbooks because you're already making a shitload of money. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I'm I'm an agitator, but that annoys me. It annoys me to no end. So I'm going to have the surgery. I'm going to be able to see fine. That's cool. I don't have to go another three to five grand deep into this motherfucker just to put money in their pocket so they can buy a bigger boat, a bigger car, a bigger house. But you see, they play on your emotions here. And when it comes to things like this or business or money, I take all emotions out. That's the best thing to do because once you have emotions, you make decisions not based on facts or logic or common sense. You do it on emotions. I never go into any business dealing with emotions. And unfortunately, this is the sad part. I'm put in the situation where I got to have my eyes worked on. I need this health care. But immediately they put me into this business mindset. Now I have to look at it totally different. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. Maybe I'm weird. Maybe I'm a pain in the ass. I've been told that before. But the reason I wanted to let you know is to talk about the the doctor's experience. And some people have asked me, when you see me on TikTok, you might see my left eye squinting. And that's basically because I can see better with my left eye squinting because I can't see out of my left eye. But in a short period of time, I'll have the surgery. All will be cool. There will be no period of time. The only thing they said to me, they said, look, man, here's what you need to do. Once you have the surgery for two weeks, you can't swim or lift anything above 35 pounds. I said, fuck, I don't do that now, so that'll be cool. That won't be any problem. I should be swimming. I got a pool 50 feet away from me, but I don't, and I should, and I probably will in the future. So anyway, I'm going to have this surgery. It's not going to affect anything. I'm not going to suffer. It'll be fine. I'm not even worried about it. But if you see me squint in my left eye, at least for now, that's why. All right, enough bullshit. Let's talk about some of the emails that I got. We always give them priority. First one comes from a gentleman by the name of Jay. 
He says, hello, Mike. I have, I've been a dedicated listener to your podcast. Thank you. Ever since I found out you had one about two months ago, where have you been, fucking Jay? I've been doing this for a year plus. I was constantly seeing and listening to your daily TikTok blast and finally listened hard enough to hear you mention you had a podcast. So here I am. My question is, since it appears Liz Cheney will lose her congressional re-election bid, and she did, we'll talk about that, how does that affect her status going forward on the January 6th committee if it runs longer than her term in office? Do they have to find a replacement, or will she be grandfathered in? As you mentioned, as a committee member, she is worth her weight in gold, but as a congressman, she's a piece of shit. Well, she's conservative. I won't say she's a piece of shit, but she's not somebody I would vote for. Losing her would be devastating for the committee, especially if it, if a replacement is assigned to replace her that is not as honest and truth-seeking as she was. Well, let's look at the facts. She lost the primary, and we'll talk about that. Um, the election isn't till November. And whoever gets elected to office, it could be a Republican or Democrat. And quite frankly, the woman who won the primary is a Donald Trump endorsee, and she's a fucking nutcase. So let's hope that the stars align and a Democrat wins. I doubt that'll happen, but, you know, just in case. She doesn't leave office until, like, January 20th. So here we are in mid-August. She won't leave office until January 20th. I have a feeling the January 6th committee will be done by then. That that only makes sense, that they would be done by then. Uh, they might be done with the hearings by the midterms. Um, in as far as her being replaced, she wouldn't have to be replaced. Who sets the criteria, and who decides who is going to be on this committee? Benny Thompson and uh, Nancy Pelosi, I would guess. She has some say in it, too. She doesn't necessarily have to be replaced. She wouldn't necessarily have to be replaced. And if she's gone, yeah, we would lose something in terms of the bipartisanism. I mean, here's the, here's the thing you have to understand. It's not just Liz Cheney who's leaving. Adam Kinzinger's leaving, too, because he's not running for re-election. So after January 20th, he'll be gone, too. So I'm guessing they will wrap up the January 6th committee sometime before January 20th. Otherwise, then they all of a sudden become a partisan group. And that'll take away some credibility. But by that time, they will have exposed everything and shit will be flying. So... I don't think they'll go past January 20th. I don't think they may even go into December. Uh, they may go through November. They may keep studying. But there is no requirement for Nancy Pelosi or, Bernie, or Benny Thompson to <clears throat> assign somebody else to the committee. Keep in mind, <laughs> the committee has a lot of very good people. Um, so... Don't worry about that. I think most of what they're going to bring out will come out before January 20th. Um, it would be ironic and kind of cool if they did an ultimate summation on January 6th, two years, the anniversary, the date of the insurrection. I think they'll do it well before then. They'll probably do it before 
the midterms just to have as much effect as they can possibly have. So I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah, we'll miss we'll miss uh, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger because they'll both be gone. But I don't see that as having any real effect on anything, and they don't have to be replaced. All right, next, this one comes from Don. Mike, I'm a like-minded boomer, born December 1955, so you're roughly five years older than I am. I really enjoy your work. It's funny that when I first heard you do most podcasts at midnight or 1 a.m., I thought, that's crazy. I'm long off to bed by then, but I found I appreciated your timing. Often I wake up in the wee hours and can listen to your latest podcast within hours of your publishing. My only complaint is your intro and ending. The volume is so much louder. (laughs) Cheers, Don. Well, Don, that is a typical old guy response. Now, I understand what you're saying. This is the equivalent of the old guy saying, get off my grass, motherfucker. Yeah, the volume may be a little louder on the intro and outro, and it's it's basically because of the processing. I had somebody produce that for me, and it's very heavily uh, compressed. And when you compress something, even though they're at the same level, it brings everything at the real high levels down to a point and everything on the low levels up to a point, so it's like a constant. So while it may not be louder, it sounds louder. That's why when you hear commercials on TV, they sound louder. They're not really louder, but they sound louder. It's hard to explain, and it really doesn't matter. Look. (laughs) Look, Don, here's the thing. The intros may be 20 seconds, 30 seconds max, and the outros probably even less than that. Here's my advice to you. Tough it out, pumpkin. Fuck. (laughs) I'm kidding with you, Don. I know what you're saying. It's a minor trade-off. I like the intro. I was surprised that it went as well as it did because you know where I got it. I'll tell you where I got it. It wasn't some friend of mine who had his own studio. I fucking went on Fiverr. And I had 10 people do intros and outros. And it took to the 10th one, this guy, that I said, I kind of like that. So that's why it's on there. It adds a little more professionalism to the whole podcast. I know a lot of people don't do it. Some people do do it. It doesn't fucking matter. I just wanted to do it. And that's why we did it. And if it's louder, I'm sorry. But uh, you're going to have to live with it. All right, let's talk about Liz Cheney. She had kind of a rough night in a defeat that many of her supporters acknowledged was inevitable. Wyoming Representative Liz Cheney, one of the former President Donald Trump's fiercest GOP antagonists, lost her Republican primary on Tuesday to a Trump-endorsed appointee, Attorney Harriet uh, Harriet Hageman. Now, Cheney is a three-term congresswoman representing the nation's reddest state, crossed the GOP base, as well as her Republican colleagues when she voted with Democrats to impeach Trump for instigating the January 6, 2021 riot at the U.S. Capitol. The vote cost Cheney her spot as the number three Republican in the U.S. House and the speakership she was thought at one time to be eyeing. Cheney also served as top Republican on the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack an unprecedented rebuke from the Republican National Committee. 
Here's the interesting thing about Liz Cheney. Did you hear what I said? She is a three-term representative in the House of Representatives. Now, you may know that a term in the House of Representatives is only two years. So Liz Cheney has only been in the House of Representatives since 2016. Six years she's been in there, and she's gone from being a freshman representative to someone with noted power. That's pretty impressive. And to be perfectly honest with you, in spite of the fact that she lost this primary and won't be in the House of Representatives um, come January 20th of 2023, she's really elevated her stock in the last year or two fighting against Donald Trump. It's funny, there are a lot of uh, Democrats that love her, and they shouldn't because she's an ultra-conservative. She stands for everything the Democrats hate. In spite of the fact she's shown integrity and she has a common enemy in Donald Trump, she is really not somebody that the Democrats would want to represent them if they really looked at it. Now, here's the thing. All the Republicans are going to be freaking out. Oh, Donald Trump's endorsee wins. And uh, that's how powerful Donald Trump is. That's, that's not the case. Here you've taken a woman who has some power in Washington, D.C., in spite of the fact that she's only been there a few years. And you're trading her for this uh, um, attorney, Hageman, who is a nobody from nowhere and is um, just a Trump-humping piece of shit. She's talking about the big lies. She's talking about all this shit. And uh, she's going to be a nobody. She's going to come into uh, Congress if she does, and she's going to be a nobody with no power. She'll be like a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Lauren Boebert. They may be loud and obnoxious, but they really have no power to do anything, which is a good thing for the Democrats. Um, the last thing Democrats want is a good, solid candidate to win a general election or be in the general election. As I've said before, the crazier the fucking candidate, the better chance the Democrats have to win. Now, in Wyoming, a Democrat's probably not going to win because it's ultra red. And clearly, by kicking Liz Cheney out and bringing this Hageman in, they're all little, the, the majority of Republicans in that state are a little fucking nuts. They're going to be embarrassed when it's all said and done because Donald Trump will be exposed and this dipshit who follows Donald Trump is going to be embarrassed. But that's their deal. The important thing to remember about uh, Wyoming, as much as uh, other bigger states have a number at least a couple, maybe a number of representatives in the House of Representatives. Wyoming has so small a population, there is only one representative in the House of Representatives from Wyoming. That happens to be Liz Cheney now. It'll be maybe Hageman uh, in 2023 and to 2025, because she'll only be there two years. And I'll guarantee you she won't last more than two years. So as much as this is a big deal because a pretty strong candidate lost, don't weep for Liz Cheney. As I said in a previous podcast, 
this may be the worst thing to happen to the Republicans. Liz Cheney is a tough woman. She is the spawn of Satan, Dick Cheney, as we know. She's been very hard on the Republicans and Donald Trump. What do you think is going to happen now that she has nothing to fucking lose? She has no election to win. All she has to do is raise her prominence in politics for whatever she's going to do in the future. Liz Cheney is going to whoop the shit out of the Republicans, and she has every right to do it because they destroyed her situation in the House of Representatives only because she stood by the truth. So the Republicans may be happy now, but in the long run, they are going to pay a price. Ted Kimmel, a 72-year-old Hageman voter from Wilson, tiny town in the state's liberal Teton County said that Democrats motivated by animosity toward Trump stepped up to help Cheney. Democrats are coming in to vote Republican in order to keep Liz in because they hate Donald Trump so much. And on it goes, he said. The only thing I can I don't like about this situation is January 6th. It's not a fair deal. It's a kangaroo court. Yeah. Of the 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump for spurring the deadly mob, Cheney was the last to face the primary and the fourth to lose against a Trump-backed opponent. Four of the other pro-impeachment Republicans opted to retire, uh, like Kinzinger, while two managed to hang on in GOP primaries. Within that group, Cheney, a staunchly conservative Republican, has made the case against Trump with the sharpest moral clarity and has signaled she may continue that fight as a presidential candidate in 2024. That remains to be seen. It's going to speak a lot to where the Republican Party is. I'll be perfectly honest, after you get through the midterms, It may be a long time before the Republicans have any power in any election, let alone a presidential election. And if the Republican Party is split, it's going to be hard for Republicans to win. And that's what I'm looking for in the midterms. We've got the crazies and the relatively normal yet conservative. And if that splits up the party, the Democrats will just wipe the floor with them. Now, she was first elected in 2016. She's only 56 years old. She is the lone congressional representative for the country's least populated state where the Great Plains meet the Rocky Mountains in a region dominated by mining, agricultural, and and, uh, tourism. Now, Trump won 70% of the vote against Joe Biden in 2020. So the likelihood that a Democrat is going to win in Wyoming is slim and none. But that's okay. It's a small state, not a big population. They aren't heavily represented. That's fine. Um, To be perfectly honest, uh, um, Liz Cheney voted for most of Donald Trump's policies, whatever the fuck they were. So it's not going to really change much. For Hageman, a 59-year-old natural resources attorney with a record that alarms some conservationists, the general election in November is merely a formality to officially claiming the seat. This is Hageman's first time running for statewide, or statewide, it would be um, countrywide office. As a political activist, she was reportedly involved with Cheney's previous political campaigns. In the 2016 presidential primary, Hageman was critical of Trump and served as a delegate for Texas Senator 
Ted Cruz. Hmm. Trump endorsed Hageman just days after she entered the race against Cheney in 2021, and in spite of the fact that she spoke badly for him, she jumped on fucking board. In a tele-rally on primary eve, Trump said he's gotten to know Hagerman and called her a friend. He also blasted Cheney, telling the supporters that few members of Congress in history have personally caused more damage to our republic than Liz Cheney. Yeah, that sounds like a Donald Trump quote. By rejecting Cheney, the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney, Republican voters are also effectively ended, ended a significant era of her family, family's political dynasty. Now... Um, the thing is, is that, uh, Hageman's going to come in. She's, uh, not going to do anything. <clears throat> she's not going to get anything done. She's, she's going to be forgotten and it's going to be no big deal. And frankly, the Wyoming, um, people of Wyoming will not be well served by this situation. But if it has to be a Republican, Thank God it's a weak, no-nothing, nobody-fucking representative. She'll be under the radar, nobody will hear of her, and she'll be a fucking joke after the long haul. So anyway, that's where it stands in Wyoming. Uh, Liz Cheney lost, uh, but we were expecting that, so no big deal. But uh, don't think we're done hearing from Liz Cheney. She's going to fuck up some of her Republican opponents and... uh, Dad's got a lot of money. I expect she's got a lot of money. She'll be on TV shows. She'll be writing books. She'll be making the tour of interviews. And she may run for president in 2024. Or who knows? She may run for the Senate next time around in Wyoming. So we'll see what happens. I mean, a lot's going to change with the Republican Party. It's not going to say stay crazy forever. And when it finally comes back to some sense of normality... Uh, she may end up being the leader of the Republican Party. So she's not done. She's too young. She's too powerful. She's too connected. Uh, she's going to be back. Don't worry about her, and don't worry about the country, because who, this Hageman, when she comes in, she ain't going to be shit. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, some good news. Yesterday, President Joe Biden signed into law the Inflation Reduction Act, which is kind of a pared-down version of the Build Back Better. Biden put his signature on the 273-page bill in the White House State Dining Room during a brief return to Washington in the middle of his summer vacation with cabinet members, staff, and others seated before him. He then handed the pen to West Virginia's Democrat Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, who last month offered his support for a pared-down form of the sweeping changes Biden had campaigned on and sought during his first year and a half in office. The bill is the biggest step forward on climate ever, Biden boasted. 
and what we're seeing in climate change, clearly something needs to be done, and we can't count on the Republicans to do it. The big switch, of course, was Manchin signing on to this, especially the climate part of this. It seemed kind of weird that he would do that. And I've supposed that the reason why Manchin has done that is he sees the the winds shifting in the Senate. He sees that uh, there are some seats going to be won by the Democrats, and his position of power is quickly going to go away. He'll become inconsequential. As I said, what we need to do is get more Democratic senators so Joe Manchin doesn't get to be the decision maker on all these things. And he sees that. I'm sure he's thinking to himself, well, these Democrats are pissed off at me. They hate me. Once I don't have power, how am I going to get anything done? All these progressives are going to say, fuck you, Joe. You fucked us last time. We're not going to do this anymore. So maybe he's trying to rehabilitate himself, make friends again in the Democratic Party. I don't know. I don't even know that it'll work. But That's my sense as to why he would do this. And this is absolutely crucial to Joe Biden because it's just one more thing on his resume that he can campaign on for the Democrats come the midterms. Let's be honest, Joe Biden's done a lot. Turns out he's done more legislatively than almost any president in history. There's a lot out there. There's the COVID relief bill, which had a serious effect on our country when we needed it. He's got the infrastructure bill, something we hadn't done for decades and needed to do. He did the CHIP Act. He did the PACT Act. Act, And now he's done this uh, Inflation Reduction Act, all within two years. That is unprecedented. That is unusual. So as well as we're exposing Republicans with the January 6th committee, we're finding out Donald Trump is more of a traitor than we could ever imagine. It wasn't just a coup. It was him stealing documents and selling them to our adversaries. With those things, plus you show how Donald or how Joe Biden has been so productive in just two years, not to mention the job situation and unemployment and the raise in income for folks, Joe Biden has done a pretty amazing job in spite of the fact that his poll numbers don't reflect that. But this will all be good if, if, if the Democrats can understand how they need to kick up their message game a notch or two. They need to tell people this. I know they're thinking to themselves, well, we shouldn't have to tell them this. Uh, they aren't that stupid. Yeah, they are that fucking stupid. You got to bury them with the message so they understand exactly what went on. I mean, clearly Republicans don't understand when they are being used or abused. The Republicans will steal their money and then say, "Oh, we did great things for you," and these dumb fucks will will believe it. So what needs to be done is Joe Biden and the Democrats to get out there and start flapping your lips, start controlling the narrative, tear the Republicans down with all their criminality and expose all the things that you did good for this country going into the midterms. And I hope against hope that that's what the Democrats are going to do. They have to do it. 
The legislation increases spending a total of $700 billion over 10 years, with the clean energy provisions costing $385 billion and a three-year extension to the ACA subsidies costing $70 billion. Still, the package will ultimately cut deficits by about $90 billion over 10 years, according to the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office, CBO. Now, I'm particularly interested in that part about the ACA thing. Since I retired, since my wife retired, we had to get our own insurance. So we went through something called Minsure in Minnesota and uh, got our plan through that. And we are with a company called UCARE, which I may change here in November because I'm not real happy with the way it's working out with you care. That may be my fault for picking the wrong policy, but, you know, fuck. You pay as much as people do. You expect to have some coverage. But here's the deal. With that subsidies for the ACA, at one point, when I first started, I was paying $1,200 a month for my wife and I. Now we're paying closer to $650. Well, that's significant. You know, we're talking about maybe $6,000 a year savings. And that was going to end at the end of December, going into January of 2023. So with this situation, that subsidy keeps it going for another three years, which is good for me because I'm 62. And by the time it's over, if they don't re-up it again, and I hope they do, but if they don't, I'll be 65, I'll be on Medicare, it'll be fine. So... If I'm just thinking about myself, and I try not to do that, but sometimes I do, at least it covers my ass for a little bit. And it'll cover some of your asses, too. If you don't, if you're not taking that subsidy, you need to look into it in the next uh, enrollment period because it's there. I had no idea what it was going to do to mine, and I just happened upon it. So if you aren't getting it, check it. The legislation cleared the Senate under budget bill rules that allow passage with a simple majority rather than the 60 votes needed for most bills after Manchin's unexpected proposal. Biden's original plan included free pre-kindergarten for all children and paid family and medical leave for all workers, as well as more aggressive measures to address climate change. It would have increased spending by $2.4 trillion when it was billed back better over 10 years, with $2.2 trillion and new revenues and cuts would have increased the deficit by $160 billion. It's a lot of money, but ain't shit compared to the $7 trillion that the Republicans increased the deficit while they were in office. In a nod to polling showing that inflation is the top concern of the voting public right now, Manchin, na- Manchin named the new legislation the Inflation Reduction Act, having previously declared that Build Back Better was dead. So he just renamed it and said, okay, I'll sign on to that. Here's the thing. The way this thing is structured, it's really not about addressing inflation. It's all about messaging. Remember that? Tell the people it's about inflation reduction, and it will help a little bit, but that's really not what it's addressing. But of course, Joe Manchin wanted to make it look like um, he was addressing it. So that's why he suggested the new name. Now, I know there are people upset saying, well, we didn't get all we wanted. And yes, that's true. And that's typically how it goes with these things. You have um, a wish list, and then it ends up getting pared down because that's what they fucking do in Washington. Now, the good news is, if they can win in the midterms, 
in the next two years, they can go after all the rest of that shit and not have as much problem getting it passed. So let's hope that happens. It is the latest piece of legislation that he and Democrats can take credit for, including a bill to help veterans exposed to toxic burn pits, another to increase domestic manufacturing of computer chips, and even one imposing some modest restrictions on gun purchases. Forgot about that one. In his, which, which really isn't a big deal, but it's something. In his first year in office, Biden was able to get through $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan to boost the economy as the pandemic receded, and then a trillion-dollar infrastructure bill that won bipartisan support. Polling shows that Democrats are likely to lose control of the House in November, which I think is absolute bullshit and possibly lose the 50-50 split in the Senate that currently gives them control. See, I think that's all absolute bullshit. There is no way any of that fucking makes sense with all that is going on. I think we're in a different situation than what they are suggesting to us. Now, here's some interesting news. You remember the name Pat Cipollone. He was... uh, He testified in front of the January 6th committee. He was the White House counsel under Donald Trump. And Patrick Philbin, um, who was the deputy, who was the deputy to Pat Cipollone under Donald Trump, they were interviewed by the FBI just recently, a day or so ago, in connection with the boxes of sensitive documents that were stored at Mr. Trump's residence in Florida after he left office. Three people familiar with the matter said, Now, if anybody knows something about this shit, it's got to be Pat Cipollone and his deputy. Um, and these people aren't going to risk their futures and their law degrees by lying to the FBI. This is the thing with these documents in Florida. Donald Trump is absolutely cornered. There's really no way to talk his way out of it. They've tried. They've said, well, he just brings his home work work home with him. Yeah, fuck you. There's still no reason to have top, top secret documents. You can't explain that away. So he's in trouble. And they're looking for supporting evidence from Cipollone and Philbin, and they most certainly got it. They're the most senior people who worked for Mr. Trump, who are known to have been interviewed by investigators after the National Archives referred the matter to the Justice Department this year. So they probably already spent some time talking to the DOJ. Mr. Philbin was interviewed in the spring, according to two of the people familiar with the matter, as investigators reached out to members of Mr. Trump's circle to find out how 15 boxes of material, some marked as classified, made its way to his Mar-a-Lago resort in Palm Beach, Florida. It was unclear when Mr. Cipollone was interviewed. It could have been recently or it could have been five months ago. But now we know that they were interviewed, and that's probably why things heated up and why there was a search warrant executed at Donald Trump's house. Mr. Cipollone and Mr. Philbin were Mr. Trump's representatives to deal with the National Archives. They were named to the position shortly before the president's term ended in January of 2021. At some point after the National Archives officials realized they did not have Trump Trump's White House documents, which are required to be preserved under the Presidential Records Act, they contacted Mr. Philbin for help returning them. 
A spokesman for Mr. Philbin did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Mr. Philbin tried to help the National Archives retrieve the material. Um, Two of the people familiar with the discussion said that, but the former president repeatedly resisted entreaties from his advisors. And this is what Donald Trump told them. Now, Cipollone and Philbin are saying, you got to give this back. This is the people's documents. This is the property of the U.S. government. But this is what Trump said. He said, it's not theirs, it's mine. And several people have corroborated that. Donald Trump believes everything is fucking his, whether it be generals, whether it be congressmen, whether it be governors, whether it be classified documents. For whatever reason, he thought they were his, and he could take them wherever he wanted and do whatever he wanted. He thought he had absolute immunity as president of the United States. Well, that motherfucker is finding out different right now, isn't he? On Tuesday, the Washington Post reported that former President Donald Trump is struggling. (laughs) I think we knew this anyway, struggling to find reputable lawyers to assist him as the FBI investigates his unusual retention of highly classified information. Now, the struggle to find expert legal advice puts Trump in a bind as he faces potential criminal exposure from a records dispute with the National Archives that escalated into a federal investigation into possible violations of the Espionage Act and other statutes. This espionage thing is pretty serious shit. I mean, it's bad shit. Everyone is saying no, said a prominent Republican lawyer who, like some others, spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss confidential conversations. Ordinarily, the prestige and publicity of representing a former president, as well as the new and complex legal issues at stake in this case, that would attract high-powered attorneys, because even if there's not a lot of money in it, there's a lot of exposure, a lot of making them high-profile, hopefully putting them in a position to get other big clients down the road. Unfortunately, This is a shit show, and they are not going to come out of this looking good, not only because they don't have a case to defend, but because they have a client that is impossible to represent. And we're seeing it now. You're seeing attorneys do crazy shit, like sign off on documents and saying that there is no more classified or top secret documents in in uh, in Mar-a-Lago, but then later finding out, In fact, there was. (laughs) Now, if you're a lawyer who signed off on something like that and sent that to the DOJ, you can get disbarred for that. And some of the lawyers he has working for him aren't the highest level fucking lawyers. Uh, Most of them seem to be young, attractive women, which seems to be the criteria for Donald Trump to hire a fucking lawyer. And that's fine, but it's not going to win you any cases. And when you spent most of your life hiring attorneys, big shot attorneys, and not paying them and having them leave their positions with you, it doesn't leave you a lot of opportunities. And and the problem is here is that uh, Donald Trump and his attorneys are going to go up against DOJ attorneys who are some seriously badass lawyers. It's bad enough when you don't have a case. It's bad enough when you are actually guilty. But when you have nobody to protect you, nobody to represent you in terms of lawyers, you are profoundly fucked.
In olden days, he would tell firms representing him uh, he was a benefit because they could advertise off of it. Today, it's not the same, said Michael Cohen, a former lawyer for for Trump who was convicted of tax evasion, false statements, campaign finance violations, and lying to Congress in 2018. He's also a very difficult client in that he's always pushing the envelope. He rarely listens to sound legal advice, and he wants you to do things that are not appropriate, ethically or legally. So, it's a matter of what lawyers are willing to do to represent a former president. And it's particularly fucked up when that former president happens to be Donald Trump. Now, according to the report, the legal team Trump is stuck with is less than prepared to help him with such a high-profile legal battle. People familiar with the search for legal help said the effort includes Susie Wiles. I don't know. If I had an attorney, I wouldn't want her to be named Susie. Susan's cool. Sue's good. But Susie takes a little credibility off the side. No, No disrespect for anybody out there that's named Susie. I'm just... I'm just thinking if if I'm going to have to go to the DOJ and fight against uh, being a traitor to this country, Susie may not be the first one I pick. Uh, a close advisor to Trump and attorney, Christina Bob. There's another one. You've seen her on TV. She's very cute. She's a former TV personality who happens to have a law degree. That's his fucking lawyer, who was present at Mar-a-Lago during the search and signed for the list of documents taken. That's the one I was telling you about. Former campaign advisor Boris Epstein is taking a prominent role in former White House aide Cash Patel is advising informally. Patel is raising money for a legal offense uh, funded by selling merchandise such as tank tops and beanie babies emblazoned with the logo K money sign H. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the guy I want working for me, the guy who's trying to grift people. He thinks he's got a name because of his connection to Donald Trump. Now, Trump's other lawyer currently based in Florida is Lindsay Halligan, whose practice, according to a professional biography, focuses on insurance claims at residential and commercial properties, said the report. She was admitted to the Florida bar in 2014. <laughs> so she's been a lawyer for eight years and focuses on insurance claims. A search of federal court records found no filings under her name. She did not respond to request for comment. So this woman's never even been in fucking court. <laughs> and that's who's representing the former pre- president of the United States of some of the most catastrophic charges. Yeah, Donnie's in fucking trouble. There is no question about that. He is profoundly fucked. Now, Monday's news that Rudolph Giuliani is a target of investigation in Georgia is bad news for him and worse news for former Do- former President Donald Trump. He is going to testify in front of Fonnie Willis in Fulton County, Georgia, today. Today, Wednesday, he's talking. Now, Giuliani's lawyer, Robert Costello, said he was told by Fulton County prosecutors that they consider his client to be a target in their investigation into the scheme to overturn the outcome of the 2020 presidential election in Georgia. What does target mean? Target is the next step 
closest to being indicted. So they're as much as saying, Rudy, you're going to get fucking indicted. But keep in mind, just because Rudy knows he's being indicted now is because he's the one closest to talking, which is today. We've got Lindsey Graham who's going to talk. And as it gets closer to the time when he's supposed to talk, if he's a target, they have to let him know. Now, if Donald Trump is a target, it's conceivable they won't ask him to come in to talk. And if they don't ask him to come in to talk, that pretty much says he's a target. So this is a problem for that little triumvirate of fuck-ups. Trump, Lindsey Graham, and Rudy Giuliani. Now, here's the thing with Rudy Giuliani. He's going to sit in there. He's going to probably plead the fifth, which is not going to help him much if he's a target. Let's be honest. When you have a court case and you have a defendant, it's rare that they testify anyway because that just puts them in a bad situation, uh, puts them in a situation where people can ask hard questions. So the fact that he doesn't talk basically says, yeah, I know I'm guilty. Uh, do what you will, because that's, that's all that it's really going to do. I think Fonnie Willis knows that he's going to plead the fifth. And a lot of people out there that listen to the podcast and listen on TikTok think think that uh, pleading the fifth is a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not. It's not. That doesn't stop the indictment. That doesn't even hurt the indictment. So don't get worried about that. Now, the reports say that the Fulton County investigators are particularly interested in its appearances before the Georgia legislature panels in December of 2020. During those appearances, Giuliani testified about debunked claims of voter fraud and suitcases full of ballots. See, that's the thing. They have Donald Trump on tape trying to coerce Raffensperger. Uh, trying to get him to get the 11,780 votes. But Lindsey Graham also called twice. So it'll be interesting to see if they have recordings on that. And fucking Rudy Giuliani went right down to Georgia. The dipshit went down to Georgia. And he talked to these people in person. They have proof of this. So, um, so Rudy's in a little trouble. Now, at this point, you would think that Rudy is going to look to Donald Trump for some help, not that he's in a position to help. But there's something Rudy said way back when. Think about this. Somebody presented the idea that Donald Trump might throw him under the bus. And Rudy said, well, that's okay. I got insurance. Well, what does that mean? And is he going to pull out that insurance today or sometime shortly thereafter, uh, when he's indicted. I have a feeling there is no loyalty amongst criminals. So we'll see what happens when that. Now, when people are called to testify before a grand jury, they may fall into one of three categories. The first and most innocuous category is witness. That means they're not in trouble. They just want the information. To be a witness means that prosecutors believe the person has information that could help advance the investigation. For example, customers or employees who were present during a bank robbery might be considered a witness. Now, the second category is subject. 
A subject is a person whose conduct may fall within the scope of the investigation, but it remains unclear whether that person is likely to face any charges. A person on the periphery of criminal conduct might be seen as a subject. Now, a target... That's a fucking dramatically different thing. A target is the third and most perilous category. A target is sometimes referred to as a putative defendant. While the target does not always end up being indicted, a person becomes a target of a grand jury when the evidence has unfolded in such a way as to link that person to the commission of a crime. Prosecutors give targets an opportunity to testify and explain their side of the story, but of course anything targets say may be used against them in trial. Now prosecutors notify people when they are targets so that they may make informed decisions about whether to speak to jurors or instead invoke their Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Now the natural reaction of him was to plead the Fifth. But if he thinks he's going down and he has a little insurance, well, you see, this is an opportunity. Him going down to testify in front of Fonnie Willis or the grand jury is not necessarily a bad thing for him. If he has an explanation for what he did and how he did it and uh, he can prove himself or at least give the indication that he's not guilty. Well, we know he is guilty, but... If I'm Rudy Giuliani, I have to think about this hard. If I plead the fifth, then I'm almost certainly going to be indicted. Now, if I talk and I can't explain my actions, you're most certainly going to be indicted. But if you think you're so smart and you can persuade these people, maybe you don't get indicted. So the easy thing is to plead the fifth, but is it the best thing? Well, I think uh, Rudy's fucked in this situation no matter which way it goes. But, uh, you know, Rudy thinks he's smarter than everybody, just like Donald Trump. He may want to speak up and say, well, I didn't do this, I didn't mean this, and we'll see where the chips fall. I think no matter what happens, Rudy Giuliani gets fucking indicted, and he's going to get prosecuted, and he's going to be found guilty because, frankly, he's fucking guilty. Now, Rudy's Lawyer Costello has said that if the questioning at the grand jury turns to Trump, Giuliani would probably invoke attorney-client privilege to avoid answering. But in this case, attorney-client privilege seems unlikely to shield Giuliani from answering at least some of the questions prosecutors are likely to ask. Now, client attorney-client privilege, you can invoke that, but not if it has to do with being in the commission of a crime. If you were committing a crime, that privilege no longer exists. And therein lies the serious problem for Rudy Giuliani. So he's in front of the grand jury today. Now, everything that's done in front of a grand jury is secret. We're not going to hear what happened there. But it will lead to other actions in the investigation in Georgia with Fonnie Willis. And for a long time, people have said Fonnie Willis may be the first one to indict Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and maybe even Lindsey Graham. Now, with all that's going on down in Florida, Mar-a-Lago, and the documents and such, that might be the first place where the indictments start popping. Now, I don't know that Rudy Giuliani and Lindsey 
Graham would be involved in what's happening in Mar-a-Lago, but they've got enough to fucking handle right uh, in Georgia with Fonnie Willis and the grand jury. You see what's happening here. These people have done all they can to delay, distract, divert. But they can't do it forever. As evidence comes to light, they have to answer hard questions. And if they don't answer those hard questions satisfactorily, satisfactorily, they're going to get indicted. And then they go on trial. And then it's out of their hands. They better hope to God that they are innocent. Because if they aren't, they're going to fucking jail. Lindsay could go to jail. Rudy could most certainly go to jail. And frankly, Donald Trump could get indicted in this whole mess. That's the problem Donald Trump has. And he has to be freaking out. I mean, he has this Georgia thing just on the precipice of taking him down. We now have this situation down in Mar-a-Lago with these top-secret documents. That's going to move pretty quickly because it has to do with national security. You can't fuck around with that. You've got um, the courts in Washington, D.C., the January 6th committee. The DOJ has a grand jury for the January 6th committee, and you know Donald Trump's in the middle of that. You have the civil uh, the civil trial going on in New York with uh, Letitia James. Um And then we have the weird situation with the Manhattan District, the criminal aspect of what they're going through with Letitia James. And I've explained this. I'm going to explain it one more time because it's important. The Manhattan District, Elvin Bragg, the DA, he came in new and he sounded like he was going to back off prosecuting Donald Trump. And everybody was up in an uproar. But that said, there were a couple of indictments that happened in the Manhattan District before uh, District Attorney Bragg came into office. That is an indictment of Alan Weisselberg, who was the CFO of uh, the Trump Organization, and they indicted the entire Trump Organization. Now, Weisselberg has been trying to get out of this, trying to get it dismissed and all this stuff. Well, a judge just said, Look, Alan, you're going to fucking trial in October. Now, the moment Alan Weisselberg was arrested, people were thinking, oh, he's going to flip. He's going to flip on Donald Trump. Then Donald Trump is fucked. But he didn't. He didn't flip at all. Nothing. That's weird. He's an old man. If he goes to jail, it might be for life. Some of his kids might have been complicit or implicated into this shit. You would think that would be enough pressure for him to flip. And it wasn't until they said, yeah, we're not dismissing this. You're going to court in October, which is a little more than a month away. So get ready, motherfucker. You're going to be going to trial. Well, then all of a sudden, Alan Weisselberg, we're hearing little bits and pieces of this, that he might cut a deal and plead guilty to get a lesser charge. But in order to do that, he's got to offer something in return. He's got to offer some information. He's got to flip on somebody. And the only person he could flip on is Donald Trump. So as much as Alan Bragg was backing off of uh, prosecuting Donald Trump, 
Maybe Alan Bragg was waiting for this guy to flip and knew he would when it got down to nut-cutting time. And when Letitia James started getting close to winning her case, then all of a sudden this will crop back up in the Manhattan District and Alan Bragg will have no choice but to investigate and maybe ultimately indict Donald Trump. So Donald Trump's getting hit from all sides. One of them, at the bare minimum, is going to stick. So that's why, no matter how you look at this, Donald Trump is fucked. At best case, he'll be broke, lose position, he'll be a pariah. But with these documents, those are so serious, theoretically, he could end up in jail for that. That's just too fucking serious. All right, we are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to listen. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.